This episode of Weed and Grub is brought to you by Ghost Vapes, next generation vaping. Whether you're a vaping newcomer or looking for an enhanced flavor experience, the Ghost MV1 represents the very latest design and technology in portable electronic vaporizers for both herbs and extracts. Follow them on Instagram at Ghost Vapes Official or go to ghostvapes.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. What up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? It's going splendidly in this tiny room in the New York streets. Yeah, we're in New York. Welcome to Weed and Grub, everybody. This is a podcast about weed. And grub. And food. And sex. And pop culture. And activism. Activism today. Today is all about taking activities and making them active. Yeah, about advocacy and awareness. Um, We're in New York because we uh, came out for the inaugural 421 for All event, which followed 420. Yeah, so 420, all about, you know, for me, it was like blowing clouds and looking at clouds and laying by the pool and having a delicious day. And 421 is about taking action. Yeah, so 421 for All was founded by a group of folks who are uh, making it the first Cannabis Justice Awareness Day. So enjoy the herb and celebrate the leaf on 420, and then on 421, continue the fight to legalize and make sure that, you know, pop prisoners are having their records expunged and that sort of thing. And they're an amazing group that you can follow on Instagram, and you can see a live stream at 421 for All of the whole night's events. Yeah, and 421 is the numbers, 421. For all at four two one, for all on Instagram or four two, four twenty. You know what I'm saying. Four twenty one for all dot com. Four twenty one for all. Um, some of the beneficiary partners uh, at the event are also listed on, or all of them are listed on the site, and you can go check them out. Uh, special shout out to our friend Christina Bucola, who was the founder of four twenty one for all, and who invited us to host the evening's affair, and it was a wonderful time. All of the musicians and poets were fantastic. I learned a lot about a lot of special groups that need help. And I don't want to pick favorites and say one over the other and not share them all. So I would say if you're interested in learning more about how you can be an active participate participant in free access for all, go to 421forall.com. Yeah, it's about uh, education and awareness. Advocacy, diversity, inclusion. All of that. Safe and fair access for everyone. And uh, in that spirit, we're going to release our interview with Amy Margolis this week. Amy Margolis is one of Oregon's most prominent cannabis attorneys. She is the founder of the Oregon Cannabis Association. We spoke to her her at the uh, WeWork space that she founded called The Commune in Portland, where she is running a new accelerator program for uh, female entrepreneurs in the cannabis space called The Initiative. Yeah, cannabis Yeah. It's really good. And also, if you're wondering why we might sound a little weird, it's not because we're on a hot tin roof. It's because we're on uh, Mary Jane's amazing iPhone 6S recording right now because that's what we have to do because we're in New York and then later we're on our way to Vegas and then maybe Mars if Elon is hitting us back. Yeah, we're kind of running around and it's the most incredible time. Thanks to all of you for your support to allow us to go from Alaska to California to New York to Las Vegas. Um, We love bringing these voices and stories to you. We love educating ourselves and learning more. It's the best time, Mike. It's the best time. to. I like hanging out with you so much, Mary Jane. It's so great. Thank you so much for, yeah, this journey, for all of you for listening. And um, I guess without further ado, here is our interview with Amy Margolis.
What's up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? Incredible. We are at the commune with a very special guest today. We're here with Amy Margolis. Thank you, Amy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, you founded the commune as a the first cannabis WeWork space. It's true, although we have really yet to use it for that. So we founded it with that idea, but also to run the initiative out of it. And um, we've had some community work days, and we'll start those back up again. But we've really been using it for the initiative classroom, an event space, a gathering space, um, and a little bit less like uh, weed, we work, although um, it's still a great idea. And the initiative is a business accelerator for female entrepreneurs in the cannabis space, is that right? Yes. Okay. And you just founded it last year? So we started the program, we moved in here in June or July, started building the program last spring, and just finished our first cohort. Um, we also had a retreat in um, Bend, Oregon called Hustle Hard, and we'll have another retreat for female founders in September called Females to the Front in Palm Springs. Wow. Did you feel once you started this and created it, like, did you feel this universal gasp of, oh, thank you so much from <laughs> the community? Um, I think it very much feels like, um, you know, I text my husband sometimes, like, I did a thing. And I think it feels a little bit like that. Like, oh my God, we did this thing. And it just like sort of there was so much serendipitous that happened that it feels like um, the universe kind of opened up and like everything we needed came into place. And so I've started projects before that have been hard or lots of work or like every step feels like a heavy lift. And this has not been like that at all. Was founding the initiative a reaction to your experience in the cannabis industry or a reaction to what you were seeing around you or some of both? It was definitely both. So, you know, it it has a very clear origin story, which is, you know, my own experience. I, I, I've been watching this space for a very long time. I've been representing clients in this space for a long time. And I've definitely seen around me what has been happening um, to women, what has been happening or not happening for people of color. Um, but... I had gone to the MJ Business Daily Conference um, in now 2017, it feels like so far away, mm -hmm. and I had gone to a party. <laughs> yeah. I had gone to a party, um, and there were about 50 people there, and um, I looked around at one point, and I realized that I was the only woman at the party. And um, then I... Um, hosted a meeting in my hotel room during that same event and it was a number of cannabis brands and it was again all men and I said at the end um, to this group of men you know next time I'd like to see some women decision makers in the room and they started complaining about their wives and so I I had a, a moment where I thought you know this cannot happen anymore so um, it was a direct reaction to an ex a particular experience, but I had definitely seen what was happening to the industry more broadly. I think in my experience, I, it, it's surprising and, and sort of disheartening to hear that because so much of what we are told is that in this brand new sort of cannabis world that female entrepreneurs are at the forefront of the movement. And that sounds like that hasn't been necessarily true? I, I mean, I don't think that that's true. I mean, I think that women are doing amazing, innovative, 
cool shit. Mm-hmm. Like, for sure. I mean, women are doing some of the most interesting and innovative work. But, you know, that's like this space, um, this kind of narrow space that women are occupying. And when you start to move up into the higher market cap companies and the publicly traded companies, and you start to look at the big multi-state operators and brand aggregators, like those are not spaces that women occupy. And you think of like, are women creating amazing lifestyle brands? Yes. Are women running multi-state operations? hardly any and so not that one is more valuable than the other but in terms of like cannabis policy and what the world sees those bigger operations certainly have more um you know the public sees them right the policymakers are more interested in listening to somebody who has a five billion dollar market cap than somebody who like makes essential oils in Oregon. So, you know, the influence level is different. The control level is different. The wealth generation is different. And so are women doing cool shit? Of course. You know, are they occupying this other particular space? Not as much as we would like. Money and power. Money and power. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's it's tricky and it's pretty monopolized. So. Yes. On, on that note, I, I think we were interested to know uh, what your thoughts are on someone like John Boehner entering. That's exactly who I was thinking of. Yeah, right? There's this weird, like, necessary evil feeling around it that I'm hearing a lot that I don't necessarily agree with. And that person coming to the table as part of the conversation when I know there was just a cannabis track at the uh, South by Southwest conference, and John Boehner was a keynote speaker, as well as Stephen D'Angelo. Yeah. And it's just so interesting to find those two people now in the same... Shh. <laughs> Holding for noise in the background. This place um, is popping. Yeah, no, it's 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 uh, it's interesting to see those. Um, uh, yeah, we'd just love to hear your thoughts on that. Like when I saw the cannabis track happening at South by Southwest yes. with Steve D'Angelo, you know, giving a speech in one room and then former U.S. Speaker of the House John Boehner in another. Uh, it felt. Hip- like hypocrisy and, and a little tough to swallow. So what is your... I know. How I do you know. feel about that? Well, I was out South by Southwest, mm-hmm. and, you know, I loved to see a nice protest. So I was stoked to see that people took to the streets about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've, I personally, like, I've known the guys from Acreage for a long time. I knew, I mean, in some ways, Kevin Murphy was, like, a very much of a risk taker. He started investing in cannabis a long, 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 long time ago. Um, and I and grew what he was doing really smartly. Um, do I, you know, do I think that we need people who had like who had and have political power to be touching this space? Yes. Do I think that like, you know, John Boehner is the right one for that? Like, mm, you know, I, there's like a lot of other really great people who are in positions of power, both politically and otherwise, who like I would prefer and I think are more. Um, representative of what this industry should be like um, but you know it's it is demonstrative of this like real tip towards um, what we're gonna look like which is like you know big companies coming in and owning everything and you know you can say that's good or bad and I I don't I, I'm not taking a position on this but like you know I'd like to see someone better than John Boehner doing that um, and I also think that you know I've been talking about a lot like what this industry can do and I mean we're doing our own little piece here but you know in cannabis I'm sure you know this you're like always one person away from knowing everybody 
if you're actually doing anything in this space. And so, you know, these big market cap companies require smaller companies to continue to aggregate their brand. So I think one way, whether there's John Boehner's out there or not, but the industry can hold these companies accountable is by saying, I'm not going to let myself be acquired. I am the highest quality company there is. You came to me for a particular reason. And I will not let myself be acquired until your board has some women on it, until it has some people of color on it. I'd like to see some like executives who are women or people of color. So like we have a lot of power in this space because the, right now, those big multi-state operators, those publicly traded companies need brands to acquire. And so we do have some power there. This is so interesting to hear because when I think of acquisitions, I think of a long table filled with people in suits arguing over percentages and money, and that's all. Not yes. not about um, how companies are run. I always think of it in terms of just dollar signs for, for leverage. And so the collective this is, bargaining power that you're saying the cannabis industry now has to sort of talk, speak to power. I mean, I way. think so. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've sat in lots of those deals and worked on lots of acquisitions and worked with lots of companies that are either were or now are publicly traded companies. And like, I think we do have some power. I mean, we are like, for those companies to be valuable, they need to acquire high value assets, right? And those high value assets are other cannabis brands. And there are only so many high value asset cannabis brands that are available to be acquired. So that gives quite a bit of power on the like kind of down economic rung. So it would be an interesting experiment, I think. Do I think that's gonna happen? No, do I think it should happen? Yeah, I think it's like a real opportunity for us to like leverage what we have, especially to see small businesses, like leveraging that in a way would be exciting. Where does this sense of wanting justice come from? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, have you ever asked anybody else that question? What did they say? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they deflected. They weren't sure. Um, I, I mean, I was a criminal defense lawyer before this, so I've always had a job that was, you know, about justice. Um, and, you know, I think most people want shit to be fair. Um, and then they come to a place where they have to choose between fairness and money and they choose money so i think for me it's like it comes from the sense of wanting things to be fair and also feeling like you don't have to give up or relinquish that fairness in an effort to make money thank you yeah <laughs> i don't know about that well i think it's like for for us i mean we're both in entertainment we're both doing this podcast and i feel like uh I, if i hear somebody ask me to do something for exposure one more time i'm gonna leap off a building yeah. right yes. but at the same time if somebody's like hey you want a couple hundred bucks to get high on this video and say dumb shit i'm like hell yeah, yeah. so like where's the line and but when it comes to like justice and like overall big representation of w what i want the cannabis community to be like hearing somebody like you speak about it helps me get a li little better perspective because i'm a pretty self-involved person well i don't know you yep you don't seem too self-involved um i think <laughs> that like it is, maybe I'm not enough of a realist, but I don't think that's the case. This industry is still very new. For those of us who spend a lot of time, it feels like it's oversaturated and overpopulated and already like spun out a little bit sometimes, but I don't actually think that's the case. Like I think the industry is still very new. And wouldn't it be cool if like 
it could actually look like an industry we're proud of. But that does that requires more than just you guys or more than just me to do meaningful things. And um, it also means us setting some boundaries. I mean, there'll always be companies out there that are like, I'm building this, I want to sell it, full stop. And mm-hmm. like that's their prerogative. But if you believe that, you know, inclusive companies and companies that have women at the helm um, can be just as successful or more successful. Um, if you believe that like companies have high value and should require that they be valued, then you can shape this industry however you want. So, you know, am I hopeful that that will happen? Yes, but it requires like a lot of talking about it and it requires some buy-in and it requires um, enough of the best companies to say, you know, this is important enough to us that we're going to push on it. So how does the initiative function? Is it to direct um, VC dollars towards women-owned businesses specifically, or is it to support them along the way? Or You know, it's a little of all of those things. Uh-huh. So it functions by taking women and getting them investment ready, um, right? So mm. that's a, something crucial. We spend three months here, um, and when you're done, you have your deck and you have your investment documents and you understand the legal piece. You've been supported on the marketing piece. You've had a lot of time and mentorship. Um, you've met a lot of you know, people who fund cannabis businesses, but you've also met experts in this area. Maybe you've spent a little longer learning the law than you might have otherwise wanted to, but you, know, you walk away with quite a bit of information and connections and network. Um, and then we do a demo day, and we're also going to ArcView this year. So, wow, we have, you know, and not every company will be ready to go fundraise. Or we have a number of really early companies this time that are, you know, a little bit more friends and family and a little bit less venture capital. But we will close our first round, knock on wood, with one of our companies by the end of the month for a million dollars, and that's really exciting. And Huge. so, you know, it's that's how we function, um, and. Our hope is that if you can take 16 or 24 companies every year that are run by women, and even if four or five of those are successful, and how you define success is a longer story, then you've, in an industry that is so young and so small still, you've made a real difference over a number of years in like what the um, gender makeup is in successful cannabis companies. Do you have uh, plans to expand this space and the initiative into other states, or will it remain Oregon-based for the time being? Nope. We'll go to LA next winter. Wow. Yes. That's exciting. Yeah. Do you have a space picked out? Um, we've had an offer of a couple spaces to use, which will be fantastic. Uh-huh. Um, and I think the Palm Springs uh, event will be a good jumping off point for the LA launch. And we'll start do another accelerator cohort here starting in September. We'll open applications in May. What is the uh, Palm Springs event? So we'll do another. We did a retreat here um, called Hustle Hard. And the Palm Springs event is another retreat. We'll make it a day. People wanted more days, so we'll give them more days. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a retreat for female-founded cannabis businesses. But it's really work-focused. Um, and it's a lot of like immersive learning. I hate sitting still. Uh-huh. So you could probably tell I'm sitting over here fidgeting. I hate sitting still. I don't like panels, and I don't like just listening to talking heads. So everything we did was around women and funding for the last one, and it was all workshop style. It was all activity style, and uh, you know people walked away with like 
binders of work product, which is really important. And do you see all of the um, businesses that you're working with as, are they mostly products or are there sort of other companies that are coming into the fold? You know, it is mostly products and the idea was to do mostly consumer packaged goods. Um, we have a tech platform that I think is really exciting that just graduated and we also have a device. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what the next batch of applicants look like. We've had um, outreach from a number of farms and dispensaries this time. Um, and I would consider taking those, but you know, the idea with the initiative is like, we're not, you know, women grow. Like we don't throw parties. We don't have just like networking events. We're not like, it's not our jam. So even though that stuff is important and valuable for people to have women have ways to connect with each other, it's not what we do. So I mean, the idea is to take female run businesses and like, make them successful and make the women who run those wealthy and the idea is that wealth will trickle down right and you will spend that in progressive ways and you will support other female-owned businesses through your investment right I mean it, the idea is that that's like a, a kind of actual trickle-down economy so um, you know we would consider taking growers or taking dispensaries if they had um, big dreams so a dispensary roll-up absolutely if you want to go start buying dispensaries like and you're qualified to do that like yes you know if you want to be a huge grower and be everywhere like we would consider that that's so cool as i i'm i've been writing about cannabis for a long time so i've always yeah. been in cannabis media so i'm excited to see all the different spaces where you can come into play as a woman in cannabis it's not necessarily just making something no it's acquiring businesses or tech platforms i'm really excited by the woman who just um image the first black hole ever she's yes. like this 29 year old woman katie yeah. bowman who's my new, um, I'm so excited by her. So it's just, yeah, it's thrilling to see what's possible for women in this industry. It's yeah. Really anything, right? I agree. I mean, and we're really, we're looking, I mean, our kind of threshold is not, we're not looking for women who are starting businesses so they can have a flexible schedule. We're not looking for women who are starting, you know, a nice, like, cottage industry. And those, again, it's not a judgment. We think those are great and we want to be supportive of women engaging with the work world however they want. For this program, we're like looking for the most ambitious and the most driven because these companies need to be really successful. It's like Sundance Labs crossed with TED Talks in a very yes. fun, successful way. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great way to describe it. I should be so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. It was because especially as you mentioned LA, Mary Jane just kind of like leaned in. It's like, oh, LA, huh? What's going on uh, here? I'm coming to Los Angeles. That's where I live. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're excited to go to LA. I mean, there's a, it's a total, every, you know, every state has its own, like, kind of community and it has its own feel and it's got all, like, every state's just its own thing. So we're excited to go down to California. It's good to go to a market that's, like, currently in chaos um, because it's you guys, fucking chaos. It's chaos, but there's, like, you know, opportunity in the chaos. So. Um, but we do, we get lots of calls from, I talked to somebody from Pennsylvania today, Michigan, like there's a, a need and a want for a program like this all over. And I just think we brought together like the right people to do it. Um, and now we just have to like keep executing. on Magicalbutter.com. That's so nice. I just wrote a jingle for him. Yeah, it's great. I really like it. You like it? Yeah. It took me a minute to find what note to sing. And uh -huh. once I found it, I really just leaned in. I feel like I knocked it out of the park first take. I'm really impressed. Thanks. <laughs> well, thanks for recording this in the shower with me where I get all my singing done. Yeah, and you smell good too. 
<laughs> I just wanted to, I, I don't know, they're just fun. I really like Magical Butter. I like the ghee. I like the infusion machine. And I also like the vibe of everyone who works there. They're such a fun follow on Instagram and their recipes are great. And everything that they do just lights my heart up. I love Magical Butter so much. And um, yeah, I'm just so happy like that we know them. We know them. Real talk, if you go and follow people like Chris, Garen, on Instagram, mm-hmm. Facebook, follow Magical Butter. They're giving back to the community right now all over the world while also wearing fun, brightly colored suits and smearing themselves with their new Magical Butter ghee. Like every step of the way, they're having a ball while giving back and that's what I'm all about. Yeah, and they collaborate with really interesting chefs and people to like come up with new products and ideas to just keep everything light and fun and I don't know, really pay homage to like the great fun communal parts of, of enjoying the plant together. It's what got me into the game in the first place. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you you want to explore magical butter i say go to at magical butter on instagram or go to their website magicalbutter.com and when you buy anything at all use promo code weed and grub for 20 percent off go to magicalbutter.com and enter the discount code weed and grub at checkout for 20 percent off and you know they're just great people you're gonna enjoy your your time over there magicalbutter.com me me us there's something about the way you're presenting this that I th- that I'm really into because we get a lot of DMs from people who I don't know there's a, there's just a lot of fear about starting something or getting yeah. going and the way you present it like gives access to people to turn their fear into uh, opportunity yeah and that's really cool well we were just having a meeting in there and you know you have to have a certain appetite for risk I think you kind of have it or you don't have it you either are um, inspired by taking risk or not and um you know i think if you are inspired by taking risk and you're willing to do it like that's a huge indicator of success i mean it is and there's nothing wrong with like not doing it right i mean not everybody can go gary v i'm sure you all know who he is yeah Um, of course you know he's both sort of like appalling and entertaining at the same time sometimes like an equal proportion to each other but you know um i think he does say one thing that i think is right which is like not everybody has to be an entrepreneur and and not everyone's equipped to be an entrepreneur and i that's true um but we're here to support those people who are like fuck it fuck I'm yeah doing it. and there's a big difference between being an entrepreneur and being a freelancer that's right so when you're talking about entrepreneurship you're talking about like diving into the ocean face first yes that's right and walking off the cliff yeah exactly. running running and then booking your own life yeah in perpetuity forever that's yes. really it's such a it's such an enormous amount of work and I just wonder on a personal note like how do you manage your time and life poorly <laughs> it doesn't seem like that's the case at all well my husband should be on next <laughs> um, my kid um <laughs> I just, I, I mean, I work compulsively. That's not something I'm proud of. I'm not saying that because it's like, well, I work compulsively. Like, I mean, I'm saying that sadly. Like, I work, just work compulsively. I mean, I, I, I can, I'm not capable of helping myself. And so, you know, I wake up early and I work until it's time to go to see my kid, who I occasionally get to see. Um, he's a teenager, so some of that's his fault, but... Um, Shots then, fired on the pod. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> um, he also wants a podcast, so like he would be just as exciting to talk to. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't manage it very well, but I try. And I, I think that 
Um, these are exciting times. And if you are invigorated by that and you do find that rewarding, like there's so much to grab at right now and there's so much cool stuff going on that if you like doing it, like it's a great time. How do you feel like you identify what the right thing is to focus on? I mean, right now I'm focused on this, even though it is hard because there's like other shiny objects always right. in this industry and probably in every industry. Um, Have you followed your instincts your whole life though? Or is it sort of specifically like... Calculated? Uh, ca I'm, I'm interested in strategy versus intuition. Yeah. I, I think that it is, is like just not being afraid. Like I never think I'm gonna fail. So I think that that's like maybe always my driving force is that like whatever I do, I think it's going to be successful. Um, that sounds terrible. No, it doesn't. I just it's said amazing. that out loud, but I was like, <laughs> no, but it's absolutely. It's like that. What keeps you going? The belief that you'll be able to do it. Yeah. So I think you know I'm driven by my instinct that I know the right thing, but also I'm I'm not organized, but I am um, very thoughtful about how I execute something. So. You know, and I for this project in particular, I mean, we needed to convince all these women to trust us, and I'd spent a lot of time building my equity in this space or my, you know, integrity, I think, in this space. But um, you know, you just need to be really thoughtful, and, but then you also need to pull the trigger. And I think a lot of times what we see happen for entrepreneurs in particular is like, you think ideating is the same as doing, and like it's not the same thing, right? Like thinking about it, talking about it, having meetings about it, like. It, at some point it's like enough like I can't possibly talk about this with you anymore like you, and then you have to transition into the doing part and so you know for me it's like finding time saying these are things I'm going to do like the female so front retreat like we thought about it I sort of like you know I lean over all the time to my husband and Angel and say I have an idea and then it's like okay, when is the right time to turn that idea into like an action item? And then when do you execute on that action item? And it's, it's just how I function. Does cannabis fit into, your, in, into any of that for you as, a, as a, like a recreational or medical substance? Yeah, so I mean, I, my kind of most frequent way of using cannabis is topicals, patches, uh, occasionally I'll eat it, um, but almost always because my body hurts, mm. you know, from bending over a computer or for not exercising as much as I should or sitting in these shitty chairs. And like, um, next time better chairs. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, that's how I use it. I use mm -hmm. it all the time. Um, I like a nice high THC cream. Um, I like a one-to-one -one for my patches. Um, occasionally I'll smoke it or sit around and smoke a joint with somebody, but mostly, it's because my body hurts, and I think it works. I almost never vape. Mm -hmm. When I, I I would love to. I feel like we've gotten all the way to today. Can you start at a little bit more of the beginning of your journey to today, like a bullet pointed or moments that you remember where you were like, "Ooh, I'm making a difference, and I'm feeling myself about it." Um, that's a. I've never been asked that question. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I went to law school to be a public defender. Like, I that was, like, absolutely 100% what I wanted to do. I, like, didn't even know that, an, like, an MBA was a thing. Like, I didn't even know that was, like, a degree somebody got. Like, I had been so focused on doing this one thing. And so um, I think there have been a lot of times in my, like, criminal defense career where I felt like I made a difference, um, where I felt like I had, you know, you deal with the like most awful and I in particular 
you know, mostly represented clients on like very serious person cases where people were killed or raped or kidnapped or awful things happened. And but there are moments in the like sadness and chaos and hurt and damage that you have redemption. And so I think every one of those moments I remember, I don't remember every single client because I've had thousands of them, but I do think that there are moments of redemption that I still um, remember and I'll tell you a story. Um, I was up in Toronto helping a client raise money and the very last case I had tried was an attempted aggravated murder case um, and I was certain I was going to win. I talked a client out of taking a deal. I knew I was right and we lost and I went to prison for 20 years. And I... Um, and it had, he appealed it, and then we lost at the appellate court and went to the Oregon Supreme Court. And I'm up in Toronto, and I'm sitting in a meeting, um, and another meeting, and then I get an email. And I'm standing in a room, lots of glass, very fancy. Nothing happens in fancy places in state courthouses. So I'm in this, like, you know, a great contrast, standing in this room, waiting for my next meeting, and I get this email and they say, client won the Oregon Supreme Court. They said you were right. He's like, congratulations, congratulations to the client. And I'm like in with all these bankers. And like, and bankers think they're the most important people on the entire fucking planet, right? Because they control vast amounts of wealth. At least these guys did. So we're sitting there and the bankers on the other side of the table say, okay, well, introduce yourselves. And so guy, I'm the only woman in the room, guy next to me introduces himself, I do this, I do this with the company. The other guy introduces himself, I do this, I do this with the company. And the banker across the table from me says, that's great, and then let's move on. Before I had a chance to introduce myself, right after I had gotten that amazing news, and I thought, if you're thinking about moments where you're like, you know, I'm killing it, or I killed it, or this doesn't matter, or like, go fuck yourself. Like, that was the exact moment where I was like, yeah, but I still won this case. Like, this thing was more important. And it gave, I think, like, a perspective on what we do, which is that, like, the cannabis industry is founded from social justice. And this was not a cannabis case, but just this idea that we should, like, always have that idea of, like, redemption and social justice and, like, the bigger things that drive us, even when we're sitting across from bankers. Wow. Right? Yep. My, my skin just left. My, goose <laughs> <laughs> my goosebumps have goosebumps. <laughs> I managed to actually bring that full circle. I was like, am I going to be able to bring this full circle or not? <laughs> that was great. If I was on the jury, I'd be like, yeah, she's got, she's got it. Yes, <laughs> so, wow. I mean, I think there have been lots of other times where I felt like we've made a difference. Um, and I think if you're doing it right in this industry, particularly, like, there are a lot of opportunities like that to seize. Yeah. And there's still time to protest and be mad about things too, right? Yeah. There's a lot of tons of shit to be mad about. Yeah. What I'm, I feel like what I'm kind of learning and hearing you talk is something that I'm not very good at, but I, I like to divide myself into emotions and choices as mm -hmm. separate things because it makes it easier when I fail to move on. But it sounds like, like a lot of people we're talking to, maybe yourself included, are coming from a place of like needing the emotion to fuel the choices to make things happen. I I don't think it's a that's a great another great question. I I don't think of it in that same way. I mean, we actually talk about compartmentalizing a lot in this program and, you know, 
I don't, I'm not like, I don't think of myself as like a very emotional person. It will take, takes a lot for me to get like mad at you for me to be sad or to like, you know, really, I don't, I'm not, I don't think I'm making decision often from like an emotional place. Um, but I think I'm driven internally driven by a sense of purpose. Um, and that, but that sense of purpose is not like an emotional feeling. It's, it is like a feeling of like, what is right or wrong and what is like just or not just or what is you know we say here and we gave a speech to everybody like if it doesn't make you happy if it doesn't make you money or it doesn't change the world don't do it and I, I think that's like how I make mo most of my decisions is this and they're not they don't have to do all three of those things like you could do something and be like this just makes me a shit ton of money like so I'm gonna do it I got paid I'm gonna get paid ten thousand dollars I mean assuming you don't hurt anybody in the process right like assume you're not doing something terrible but like I'm gonna do this because it makes me a lot of money like I'm gonna do this because it makes me feel good and I feel happy I'm taking joy out of this activity and you know sometimes you do things because you think it changes the world if you're lucky those things like collide with each other every once in a while and like everybody wins but so that's how I think I make my decision so um with some of those like over layers wow yeah, right? Like I'm, I picture like a risk board. It is. Yeah. yeah. That's how it is in my mind, too. Mm -hmm. It's like a Venn diagram. Yes, <laughs> yeah. right? Totally. Looking for the perfect overlap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, if you could sum up what your hopes are for uh, 2020, what would they be? Well, God, you guys know because you do this, like the industry moves so fast, like one year is like 72 years. And... Um, what would my hopes be for 2020? I mean, my sort of tangible hopes are that the initiative like goes to a number of different places. Um, and I think my other hope is that we start to see some of the success stories emerge. I mean, if we're here trying to prove, um, prove a theory, which is that women are fundable and can be successful in this industry in big, bold ways, like I need women to be fundable and successful. And so, my hope is is that 2020 is like the year of proof of concept for this program, where the women that we've worked with this time, the women we work with at the middle of this year, the women we'll work with in LA in the beginning of next year, that they really start to see true success. And we can then go, right, if we're, if we're trying to take the power back from those who have power and we're trying to leverage our, you know, small and medium-sized businesses as we're engaged in conversations about acquisition, like, we need people to actually be successful to demand those things. So that's my hope for 2020 is that 2020 is our proof of concept. And do you have any predictions for what's going to happen at the federal level as far as descheduling or legalizing cannabis goes? I feel that we're going to see some banking access happen for sure. I don't know if that will be through the like Access to Banking Act or the States Act, we'll be legalizing it. I don't know, but I, I think we're going to see something happen. I don't have like a ton of faith in Congress. Right now, <laughs> I don't think I'm alone. Um, but, and I think, you know, we've led, I've led, this year will be my fourth federal lobbying trip that I've led, that we've organized and led for the OCA. And my takeaway every time I go is like, marijuana is the least important thing on everybody's mind. Um, so, you know, I'm hopeful. I think we are gonna see federal legalization in the next administration, no matter what. Um, and then it is going to be in Sane. I have a lot of fear for it. Yeah. Yeah, Me I too. really do. I feel like celebrities are going to capitalize 
on everything that they've been wanting to capitalize on and everyone else will get crushed. Yeah, and, and big pharma is And big pharma is going to be, like, it, I, I'm just, I don't know. I'm fucking scared, but I want it, so I'm very conflicted. Yeah, I mean, it needs to happen, and it's what progress looks like. Um, and I'm always appreciative of progress. Um, and I think there's enough money in it now that, like, we're, we're not going to see this just, like, be siloed to, like, pharmaceuticals. We're not going to see it. But you definitely are going to see real money. We're seeing it now. Huge money come in, and and... It will be fascinating, and um, we'll all be able to look back and say we had like a front row seat. And isn't that an exciting thing to say? Yeah. Yeah. As you position yourself to kind of be in front of the front row. One day I'll be on a beach. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can come visit. Yes. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, I think. Uh, yeah. With any. Well, I guess the last part would be plugs. So if people do want to find out about everything we've been talking about today, where can they find all the info? Yeah. Great, thank you. So um, if you want to look at what we do in the program, you can go to intheinitiative.com. Um, if you want to learn, and you can follow us at um, in the initiative on Instagram or the Commune PDX on Instagram. Um, and the new retreat information will be up at um, femalestothefront.com or femalestothefrontretreat.com. They both go the same place. And if you want to look at the last one, you can go to hustlehardretreat.com. That was a lot of websites, but... We'll link them all. We'll tag them all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you so much for meeting with us. Yeah, thank this you. It was really fun. fun. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.